Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Juiciest Bits, the podcast where my co-host Charlie Barber and I talk about movies in both scholarly and irreverent ways. I'm Mandy Elliott, and uh, just a heads up, this episode has a little bit of uh, wonky sound, which is entirely my fault, so I apologize for that. Um, Hopefully, everything will be all fixed up for next episode. Uh, But until then, I hope you enjoy this delightful conversation we have about RoboCop, um, issues of gender and sexuality and race and policing and uh, social justice. Just, it's all there. Uh, So yeah, sit back, relax, and enjoy this third episode of The Juiciest Bits. Charlie. I'm Mandy. And this is the, the juiciest, juiciest bits. bits. Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. Got it in one. <laughs> oh man. So today we talked about uh, or watched Robocop. Um, not the remake. No. Ew. 2014. Ew. We spit on remakes. Except, Especially that one. Oh yeah. No. Have, did you see it? I, I got about 20 minutes into it and actually had to turn it off. Oh no. Because it, it, it's like it, it had nothing to do with the spirit of the original RoboCop. Uh, what did it have to do with? Misogyny, oh. basically. Mostly misogyny. But this movie is so nice to women. <laughs> well, okay. I would argue that it actually has some, uh, some, some good things. Okay. So. Oh, ooh, you heard it here, folks. Hold on to your butts. Uh, stay, yeah, stay tuned. Um, okay, so before we jump in. We, like, we've both seen this movie a bunch of times, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Um, before we jump in, how was this watch for you different from past watches? Oh, it was different, I think, because I was paying attention, uh-huh. watching it critically. I think in previous watches, I mostly paid attention to the goofiness and, and just the the Absurdity. explosive violence. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the absurdity Folks, and we're talking about juicy bits here, and boy howdy, literally were there juicy bits flying. Yeah, yeah, like which means body part bits. Body part bits, bloody bits. Yeah, um, yeah. This time, I I really um paid closer attention to it as a satire, and as um maybe even I might have even done a little uh, queer reading of it, and I'm so uh, thank you. And, uh, yeah, this one, I feel like this was my best watch yet. This is the mm-hmm. one I got the most out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, yeah, what about you? Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I think I used to be much more like, oh, cop movies or whatever. Um, and I think within the last couple of years, like, becoming sort of unmistakably aware of, of pop culture and mm-hmm. how pervasive it is and how it just sneaks into every little corner. Um. I, if I, I found this watch really interesting because because while being really critical of pop culture, um, I think this this movie tries to have it both ways in some ways and um, yeah, so it felt like I, I really enjoyed it as per usual, but then I also <laughs> sort of had like an underlying level of just kind of 
just knowing how this plays into the bigger conversation. Yeah, and I'm I'm eager to get into that part because I think we both share very similar um, beliefs about what the police are good for and how much money we should give to them. And um, (laughs) yeah, and I think you're right that this movie really kind of straddles that line a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But in some really interesting Mm -hmm. ways that could be read as critical of Mm -hmm. policing. Um, which I'm all for. So well, let's let's, let's get, get into it. Let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. So so RoboCop, it, 1987, the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> Two years before I was born. <laughs> uh, so film opens, and we have uh, initially some deeply satirical news bulletins and some outrageous commercials to get us going, um, and it sets the tone right away. We've got like. This is not a serious movie, folks. This is <laughs> this is going to be an outrageous movie, and the satire is going to be laid on with an absolute trowel. Uh, then we cut to from that to a beautiful morning in old Detroit. We've got a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed Alex Murphy, played by our hero Peter Weller, key of the expressive face. Uh, this this young man <laughs> walks uh, into a police station, reporting for his first day on the job. Uh, he's been transferred from a much cushier position somewhere else for reasons unknown. We don't really care. Um, we don't know much about him, but you know, he looks like an absolute lamb and he's got a devastating jawline. So what more, what more's needed? <laughs> Hold on to that jawline. Oh man, the jawline. Okay. Incidentally, <laughs> in doing a little bit of reading about this, like the making of, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one of the requirements for this, the casting of this character. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the only thing we see of him later on is his it's, jawline. It's very chin-forward. It's very That's a very chin-forward yeah. movie. Uh, so, anyways, he's getting acquainted with his, his new digs um, and walks into a very co-ed change room full of casual tits and butts. Yep. Um, which is a great time for me. Um, <laughs> and then they're also talking about how cops are getting killed all over the place, and now they want to go on strike. Mm-hmm. And this strike is sort of like a through line that we don't really deliver on later, except that it just means that no other cops can follow for backup most of the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we also happen to meet Anne Lewis as she's walking in with a perp and she's doing some, some casual police violence. Um, and then we know that these two crazy kids are going to be partners, but not in a sexy way. No. No. Just not yet. Platonic partners and also work partners. And life partners later on where maybe Anne Lewis becomes Bride of Robocop. Yeah, there's a very Bride of Robocop ending. Yeah. 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 Spoilers. Anyways, uh, also spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) We will be spoiling this movie big time. So if you haven't seen it, pause it right now. You've had about 35 years to see this movie. That's true. No excuses then. No excuses. That's on you. So that's enough cops for a little bit. Then we jump to some business suits having a having a board meeting, um, where they're talking about how crime is terrible, but mostly it's terrible because they want to put in a shiny new subdivision called Delta City. Uh, so the the solution to this seems to be we need a cop that doesn't eat or sleep, <laughs> which the result the the solution to this is uh, a robot. It looks like a giant kind of robot dog. Very odd. Who also growls like a jaguar. Yeah. And squeals like a pig. The look of it is definitely stolen from something George Lucas would dream up. But yeah, the animal squeals are very odd. Very odd. Mm-hmm. So anyways, there's this there's this 
police droid called Enforcement Droid 209, ED-209. Um, and, and the business uh, bros get more of a, a, a proof of concept than they, they bargained for when uh, a demonstration goes terribly wrong and one of the business bros is killed by ED-209. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> I mean... This is the first time we see the most gratuitous violence. Mm-hmm. He is blown to bits in this this very pristine boardroom. Mm-hmm. And everyone looks like a little bit shocked, but not as much as if I were in a board meeting <laughs> and saw one of my colleagues literally destroyed by a giant robot. Uh, so obviously ED-209s are terrible. Their creator, Dick Jones, is no good. And this other business bro, Bob Morton, jumps in to suggest that he has a better plan. He's got the RoboCop program. And he has <laughs> candidates already lined up, which makes me think that he has just like a like a warehouse full of cadavers. Yeah. Um, did that sound like... Well, they, he later he says they have to volunteer. Oh. So I think he's maybe exaggerating. So is it like an organ donor thing where you're like, if I die, give my body to science, give my body to the RoboCop program? I understood it as I volunteer to be turned into a cyborg immediately. Um, no, because... you think Alex Murphy signed that, though? No. Well, they say he signed, I guess when he joined the department, he signed a release. And he was legally declared dead. Mm-hmm. So they sort of saw that as an opportunity Mm. it's it's definitely framed as um something that is a little bit beyond the pale maybe Mm -hmm. uh so anyways bob morton is a little bit sleazy but the robocop program sounds great um (laughs) and uh then we're introduced to some other other bad guys who are like the clearly obvious like crime thug guys Mm -hmm. um and we know this because they're coded a little bit gay they wear leather, they've got earrings, um, and they carry giant guns uh-huh. and then cackle hilariously while wielding them. In very high-pitched manners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <sighs> I mean, but they're fabulous. I can't help it. Yeah, well, and, and the leader is played by Kurtwood Smith, who is the dad on that 70s show. Oh my God, is he really? Yeah. I thought I recognized him. <laughs> And also wondered why I had confused feelings. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yep, that's why. And he's also very sexy in this. Like, <laughs> I mean, not like, like sexy, sexy, but mm. like very sensual. He's very sensual, yes. Yeah. 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 He I does a lot of things with his fingers. Hmm. You don't remember? I, I, I don't really notice the, f- oh, he yeah, like, okay. Well, he like pulls, at one point he pulls a grenade pin out with his tongue. That's right. And then another point, he sticks like two, like his like finger <gasps> yes. and fingers in a wine, and then licks them. He sn- he puts oh, them, sniffs, them. sniffs them, which That's I thought right. was very strange. Yeah, because there's also cocaine there. That's true. Like if you're gonna, it's you're like gonna he got confused. <laughs> I, like don't maybe sniff. he tried to drink the cocaine. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, Kirkwood. <laughs> oh, you're, you're better than that. Anyway, so his name is improbably Clarence Boddicker. Um, and, and his gang of rowdies. So we're introduced to Clarence and the gang, and there's a little car chase between Clarence's gang and these brand new baby police partners, Murphy and Lewis. Uh, they all end up at this abandoned mill, 
And then when Murph and Lou try to pull the boys in without backup, Lewis is pushed off a balcony, and then Murphy is literally shot to pieces. Yeah. Like, he's blown up real good. One bullet takes his whole arm off at his first. His whole ho- Yeah, yeah, yeah. His whole ass arm. Yeah. And, yeah. But then, he, he's, like, peppered with bullets, uh-huh. and those seem to do nothing, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he remains alive. And standing. Yes. It's very improbable. It's fast. It's a fascinating thing. Yeah. Well, and then Kurtwood Smith shoots him in the head point blank. Yeah. And he somehow. And then he somehow still, still lives lives. because <laughs> he's then taken to a hospital and they try to revive him. And 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 Murphy sort of flashes back to like his wife and son, thinking fun thoughts supposedly, and then has the final. His final thought seems to be of his own recent shooting. And it seems like the memory of the shooting is actually what does him in, because then everything goes black. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but then wait, there's TV static, a turning over of channels, um, and then and then we've got this strange POV in which in which we see Bob Morton and a team of scientists attend, essentially talking through how to assemble RoboCop. Uh, and we realize that this is now from from the deceased Murphy's. Um, perspective so we go through several scenes like this where where they're talking about how to put him together uh there's a really horrifying scene where they're like oh he's still got one remaining arm we just got to get rid of it so he can have two robot arms (laughs) and it's so unsettling but it's also hilarious um and then and then finally he's powered up for the final time and is introduced as like this brand new uh, prototype RoboCop for for uh, to protect and serve. Um, and then Bob Morton takes RoboCop to the original police station that Murphy joined, which I didn't quite understand why that had to happen. Why why did they go back to the same place? It seemed like a nothing nothing police station. I think it's it's this like a prototype, but I think it's in the middle of like old Detroit where the most crime oh, is. Because Delta City cannot be realized because there's too much crime. Right. So they need to eradicate all the crime okay. in that area so they can build Delta City on top of old Detroit. Okay. I didn't connect with that because I was just like, okay, they're putting him back where he was before. And no one seems to recognize him except for Lewis. Mm-hmm. And she only recognizes him because he does a weird gun twirling thing that he did when he was Murphy. Well, he was new when he was Murphy. People didn't really know him that well. Oh, good point, good point. But later on, one of the guys who shoots him recognizes him. Yep. And he only hears his voice. I'm, I'm not saying it's uh, watertight. Oh, I found <laughs> the one hole in this movie. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, so RoboCop's back at the police station. He's set up with a fancy, uh, fancy charging station throne and a, and a disgusting food mash dispenser. Um, and, and then Bob runs through his prime directives, which I loved. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if you think that's plagiarized, it is. It it sure is. (laughs) Uh, so RoboCop has three main prime, prime directives, which are boring, you know, like serve the public trust, protect the innocent, blah, 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 blah. But there's a fourth classified prime directive that we don't know anything about. And RoboCop also doesn't know anything about. Um, so that's a mystery for later. <laughs> uh, 
So then we've got a bunch of scenes where, where Robocop is, you know, cleaning up the streets. He stops a grocery store from being robbed by tossing a would-be thief into the fridge. He shoots a would-be uh, rapist in the dick um, and delivers probably the most iconic line in the, in the film. <laughs> the line that everyone quotes. Yeah. Uh, and then he uh, breaks up a hostage situation by throwing a dude out a window. Um, and then he also has time to babysit like a million children. So there was like a scene where he was just standing in a crowd of children and they were like fondling his like steel pets. Mm -hmm. It was very strange. Um, but wait, all is not right. I mean, there's inside Robocop's noggin. Uh, <laughs> there's a ghost in this machine and it's Murphy. <laughs> nice. Thank you. I wrote that one myself. <laughs> so Robocop is like starting to have dreams about his life with Murphy. Um, and then goes and tracks down one of Boddicker's boys that, that helped shoot him real good. Uh, and he's only notable because he has an earring and the tiniest little man bun. Did you see that? <laughs> so I tiny. had to rewind the movie just because I was laughing so hard at it. <laughs> it's only visible when it's in close-up and in profile, and it's just this little tuft at the back of his neck. It's so silly. <laughs> anyway, he finds a meal at a gas station, bullying a gas station attendant, uh, who, to be fair, looks like an absolute nerd, so deserves it. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, then this encounter gets, uh, Robocop in full detective mode to finish hunting down Murphy's half because Emil kept saying, we killed you, we killed you. Um, so then Robocop does some research and also goes to his old house that's now on the market and has a lot of weird flashbacks. Um, and then can't remember why but robocop goes to a cocaine factory that Boddicker is also there at and and I they, think that's why and yeah that's they just <laughs> coincidentally happened to meet at a cocaine factory you know th those accidental those meetings. accidental meet cutes <laughs> meet cutes yeah um and uh as as robocop is beaten up Boddicker uh Boddicker tells him that that dick jones he the the business bro number two Adventure of the EB209 is actually behind all of the shenanigans um, and is his boss, sort of, kind of. Uh, so then Robocop marches to the, the business headquarters to confront Dick Jones, but then finds out that the mysterious and classified fourth prime directive is that he can't hurt upper management. Um, so while Robocop is grappling with this news and being sort of frozen, uh, Dick Jones, uh, six ED-209 on him, and Robocop barely escapes, uh, only to run out of the building into a line of not-so-friendly fire, and it's like, cops are firing on other cops? Mm -hmm. What is this? Thank goodness, Lewis then swings by and picks up poor old Robocop and, uh, takes him to another abandoned metal factory warehouse empty building. Um, where he fixes himself up a bit and takes off his helmet for the first time just to see what's left of his head. And uh, it turns out that he just has, like, a skin mask over over a bunch of machinery, which... It's very off-putting. It's something that's, like, yeah, more disturbing the more I think about it to that extent. <laughs> uh, and then we've got a massive showdown uh, at another abandoned mill. Um, and Boddicker and the boys show up uh, to... Just shoot Robocop and, and Lewis 
Yeah, they have like a, a world class assault rifle or something. Oh so, my god! Like the, yeah. the the guns just keep getting bigger and bigger to the point where I like don't know how they're lugging them around at this point. No. And then uh, once once Lewis and Robocop barely are able to take down Bodiker's gang, uh, they once again go back to the the business headquarters and and confront Dick Jones once and for all. Crime directive is circumvented, and Dick Jones gets tossed out a window. <laughs> and that's hooray. the end. <laughs> hooray, hooray. Justice is served. Um, yeah. So, so, so there's there's a lot to unpack there's here. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> and I think it's it's worth it to maybe start with the satire. Yeah. The very overt, not subtle satire. So the movie opens with um, these really bad commercials and this news mm-hmm. broadcast. So immediately we're kind of drawn into the world of the film where everything is bad. One of the news stories is the president went to go visit a satellite, the power went out, and they lost gravity. Mm-hmm. So the, the president is not only off-world, but is completely helpless, Yeah, um, floating around in, in a satellite. Um, so there's that. There's... Um, notable things going on in Pretoria with with the white folks um invoking sort of military power to be in charge. Yeah. Um at so, one point at one point there's like a like a peace missile that miss misfires, which is like Yeah, it hits the wrong target. Yeah. And And this is this is just like the level of satire where it's like, yeah, there's a mis- <laughs> missile for peace and and somehow it goes wrong. Like, yeah, one of the commercials has, there's a family game called Nukem where you you nuke your, your opponents. Opponent. So so basically this film is bringing us into into the dark side of Reagan's America. Right? Mm-hmm. It's 1987. Um, Detroit is going through some particular bad times because yeah. um the auto industry, the American auto industry is in trouble. Lots of people are buying automobiles from D- Detroit. Um, so the whole buy American push isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not stopping the capitalists. <laughs> no. Who I think are actually... Ramping up. Like, I think that boardroom with all of the, the suits in it, that's the heart of the film in so many ways. Because... We're introduced right away to this corporation, which is called um, Omni Consumer Products, and they run the police and the healthcare system, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so policing and healthcare are privatized, and business is is not booming. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to figure out how to make it better. How do you make it better? Well, you gentrify. Mm-hmm. You send all the criminals to jail, mm-hmm. and by criminals we mean everyone who's not white and, and affluent yeah and able to buy you things. Um, like you might have even noticed at one point there they make a reference to lee iacocca elementary school i um, didn't notice yeah no. and i was like who oh. would name a school after lee iacocca but wow. that's that's the sort of like pedestal mm-hmm. that they're putting business elites on even though um it's not really working out so well for the people of Detroit. No. Um, of old Detroit, I guess they call it now. So there's that. And then they they have RoboCop as this sort of amalgamation of 
you know, pieces and parts and, and there's almost literally no humanity left to him Mm -mm. the beginning. And that's what's supposed to make the ideal cop, Mm -hmm. right? Is somebody who's inhuman. I mean, the, what he says to the, the rape victim, um, is something, what does he say? You've had a, you've had a, a trauma. An emotional no, trauma. An emotional yeah. trauma. I've notified a rape clinic. Yeah. When he's hanging out with those kids, mm-hmm. his, his big advice is like, don't do crimes or, yeah. or what have you. Like it's, he's not able to engage with the public that he is supposed to serve and protect. And so we learn then, if you go back to think about those directives, mm-hmm. there's nothing human about those directives. And we see him use excessive force pretty much right away. Oh, yeah. Like, the first thing he does is toss a man through a fridge window. Yeah. Like, it's it's just, it's it's like, as long as he's doing, quote unquote, policing, Mm -hmm. he can do it however he wants. Mm -hmm. Because the corporation who runs him wants him to be as as destructive as possible. Yeah, always. Yeah, so... Already the police aren't in charge of their own work. And we see this at one point, too, in the beginning when that one cop wants to go on strike. Mm -hmm. And the staff sergeant is like, police don't get to go on strike. Which is like, what does the police union think of that? Um, (laughs) And it's really, really kind of nipped in the bud that police don't get to go on strike. Mm -hmm. But also, these police are not effective. At all, to the point where at the end, they are all shooting at RoboCop, who their guns cannot injure anyway, mm-hmm. and they know this. So it's the, the movie is really showing the cops to be inhuman and ineffective and not, not that bright in general. There are lots of different kinds of cops, and we get the sense that, that RoboCop, as... As Murphy kind of regains his memories a little bit alongside Lewis, like they're they're the examples. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think the movie is not not very um, pro cop uh, and not very pro capitalism. So you don't think with like showing RoboCop as like the Western hero who's like sauntering in, he's got the cool moves, even though he is a weirdo, he's also a robot. Like you don't think that there's some kind of like inherent glorification in that and being like, Hey, he's, he's here. He's, you know, gotten a raw deal, but also he's doing his best. Darn it. But I think it wasn't his choice, Mm -hmm. right? Like he had to be pretty much dead in order to be this great cop. And and he like doesn't that. know who he was until Lewis brings it to his attention. Yeah. Um, and also, the reason he got to be that way is because he and Lewis take on a whole gang of thugs, mm-hmm. and Lewis um, can't assist him because she catches a guy peeing in the loft, and she gets distracted by his dick. By his dick. Yeah. And he pushes her off the balcony, which is is just like what? No. So she's she's incapacitated because of of dick shock and and meanwhile her partner's getting blown to bits. <laughs> yeah, 
it's it's just I I don't it's uh, yeah I can see why RoboCop would be held up as the standard but I also think um, RoboCop is also meant to demonstrate that um, the policing that corporations want has to be devoid of humanity yeah yeah like like to become a good cop by which they mean an effective cop not like a good human um, he yeah he has to be literally dead inside yeah and and he has to have like no connections in his humanity and he has to literally be just like a, a walking machine mm-hmm. that that like encountering people just sort of like bounces off of him like he is unmoved when he in- sees people that are that are in distress he only focuses on the crime itself yeah and or what he perceives as the crime which also means all of his agency has been taken away mm-hmm. like he he doesn't get to make decisions mm-hmm. for himself um so yeah if if you don't if you well, can't read the, the new prime directive like yeah. the the ending of the film is is not that the prime directive is taken away from him no or it's rendered invalid he's still yeah he's still under the constraints of that mm-hmm. um it's just that you know the big boss fires dick jones and therefore like you know he can get pushed out the window yeah the big boss who gets the last line of the movie who basically says like claps him on the back good shot yeah and and essentially there you can almost see dollar signs in his eyes yeah yeah <laughs> like we're gonna make so many more of you yeah he has not learned his lesson and i mean his the, that character's name is just the old man is it really yeah so he is i mean in effect <laughs> this presidential figure who cares only about the bottom line does not care at all about people who can do nothing for him. So it's a real, I think it's, it's a real, um, it's really ripping Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. Like really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even relying on thugs to do their dirty work. I was reading an article where someone compares that with Iran Contra and, mm-hmm. and using Iran to, to do America's dirty work. Oh boy. Um, so it's there. There are a lot of deep dives you can do into into um, the anti Reagan era uh-huh. um, point of view from the film. Okay, so what do you think about about the the combination then of never showing like normal people or 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 everyday people in this in this film? Like everyone is either. It feels like everyone is either like a, a victim of crime or a perpetrator of crime, mm-hmm. and there, there we never see just like families walking around or or people enjoying their lives. It's just like, yeah, ev- everyone is is in it uh, to a certain extent to the point where even when when random people off the street are um, interviewed about the police strike. I mean, one is one is called homeowner and the other one is called unemployed person. Yeah, and the unemployed person clearly has some uh, some some issues. Some things going on. Yeah. yeah. So there's also just not like well, naturally people the... living their lives. There's always this this um, 
angle that feels very heavily filtered. And I guess that's part of the satire of the whole piece. Yeah, I mean, I think even even with the, the homeowner saying no to the police strike and the unemployed person saying, yeah, they should do yeah. what they need to do, um, the, we're clearly meant to understand that the homeowner is the more respected yeah. member of society, but also that neither party has any idea what actually goes on. Mm-mm. No, they're both like, completely out to lunch. There's no sense that the police are that that either of these people have ever seen evidence of the police. Yeah, I mean they live in a city that is that is ravaged by crime, which is is like okay, cool, but mm-hmm. why why then are there so many cops and more money is being put towards cops? To this is the thing, the cops, it feels like the cops outnumber the citizens. Yeah, it really does. Because we see these giant rooms in the police precinct full of cops. And then every time we see people out on the street, there's like one or two people. So it just feels like this horde. Yeah. And then I guess like this like packed boardroom as well is the other sort of piece mm-hmm. So we've got this horde of, of, of cops and then this like massive business bros. And, and then... Like, you know, a handful of people just wandering the street. Yeah, it's like there's this nucleus of, of trouble yeah. with the cops and the, the capitalists. Yeah. And then everyone else is just kind of surrounding. Or, and, and I think, I mean, it's important, too, that Robocop, um, his family has moved on. They were told that he was dead. So he never gets to see his wife and son again. Mm-mm. And they have no idea that he's still alive in some form. Um, so there's this real sense, especially when he's walking through their old house, that he had, that he, in becoming a police officer, he would ultimately have to choose Mm -hmm. the, you know, the man instead of regular people. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, a very strong tangent, but did you know that I applied to uh, graduate school with a, a research proposal on RoboCop. And it was entirely about this one tiny scene when he's walking through his old house and he's having memories um, about the life he used to live as Murphy. And, oh man, as I think about it now, it would have been a terrible research proposal and I don't know how I got into grad school on it. But, <laughs> but I was essentially like, isn't it really interesting that the house just looks like a normal 80s house? And this is a futuristic Detroit? <laughs> How bizarre is that? <laughs> what does this say I about that. Sci- science fiction? In that, like, it's more about what's going on now than it is about any future predictions? Well. Is this, is, is this a groundbreaking thought? Did you further know? I think filmmaker Ken Russell would have agreed with you. Because filmmaker Ken Russell calls his film the greatest science fiction film since Metropolis. What? Yeah, that's bold. Bold claim. Yeah. That is, oh, wow, that is a, that is a powerful claim. <laughs> it, it sure is. Um, so if you ever want to pick up that research paper again. Well, yeah. Call, call Ken Russell. Ken and I can, can, we can talk for sure. <laughs> There's lots of like combining of sex and violence in this in this yes. movie even though it is a very like desexualized movie in a lot of ways 
like they did a lot of work to make sure that Lewis was desexualized. She wasn't the hot cop sidekick. Um, she's like a practical lesbian sidekick. Um, and and I feel like for a movie that has this much gratuitous gore, it also should have this much gratuitous sex because like you know, mm-hmm. it it feels of a piece. But but the 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 sexuality mostly seems like it's it's in smaller gestures and it's sort of like an underlying menace Mm -hmm. well and also i mean if if we follow along with with the logic that none of these people have any humanity left Mm -hmm. then the sexuality piece would be would look a lot different and i think we see sexuality through guns yeah. And through... Boy, are there guns. Yeah. Well, even there's... Um, in the scene where, where RoboCop throws a shoplifter into the milk dairy case, um, the shoplifter looks at RoboCop for the first time and says, fuck me, and then he keeps repeating it, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, until it starts to sound like, fuck me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And RoboCop picks him up and throws him into the dairy case. Uh-huh. And so it's, it's that to me, red is extremely sexual. And I mean, of course, all the guns and, and everything is, you know, you have a bunch of these, these toughs are guns like symbolic? penetrating, <laughs> um, Alex Murphy with their bullets. Also, there's the scene where Robocop has his gun and puts it, his holster is like, it's inside his body. Yeah. It's his gun is his penis. I don't know if it's if his that's, penis. It's, but it's, I mean, he doesn't have a penis, right? Because How do you know? the, the guy from Twin Peaks, Bob Morton. No, his name is escaping me. But he at the club when RoboCop is in arrest mode, he kicks him in the junk. In the, the that's right, what, it goes clunk. Yeah, and and hurts his foot real bad. That's right. And and so I, I don't think he still has a penis. I think the gun is is a stand-in because guns are phallic. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> Once no again, one else has said research. And I mean, in the when he kills Boddicker too, um, he has this this middle finger that basically it's like a spike that opens up in his hand, which is very much like an erect penis, with which he stabs Boddicker. Mm-hmm. And then it is still bloody when he uses that same appendage to plug into the computers at um at OCP. OCP and prove that mm-hmm. Dick Jones did them dirty. Did the deed. So you have this bloody phallic object as this this thing of violence and also this thing of, of redemption. Uh-huh. And I, I think that gets to Well and it's it's like it's like the 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 key to everything. It it's it's the thing that gets things done. Yeah. It it both yeah executes people when they need to and it and it reveals secrets and it opens doors and and yeah and and as we see with the um the attempted rapist it's also vulnerable right like Mm -hmm. he shoots the rapist is is behind the woman and robocop shoots through her legs Mm -hmm. to shoot his dick off Mm -hmm. so she's safe because she doesn't Doesn't have a dick Freud would make a meal. Yeah, it. yeah, but it's that's yeah that's what it is. And um, actually, Maggie Mae Fish, uh, writer Maggie Mae Fish, wrote um, about how this movie very clearly mirrors 
a rape revenge structure. Mm. And it is very much like act one character is violated. Act two character looks for revenge. Act three character gets revenge. Mm. Um, so it, it does follow that. That That's sort of really interesting. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I, I really, she has a lot of really interesting things to say. Um, another one is that Lewis um, is made intentionally to look like Alex Murphy. I was going to say that they yeah. look like twins. So that when she's looking at him and she says, you're Alex Murphy, uh-huh. she's his mirror. She's not a sexual conquest. Uh, she's his mirror. Yeah. And if we look at Lewis as Alex Murphy's proxy humanity, yeah, that just changes the whole relationship she's like like his external conscience he's the yeah soul that he had removed and she's surgery and she's also sort of his his female balance Mm -hmm. right there's a lot um that she talks about with respect to alex murphy's femininity Mm -hmm. and his how he needs to sort of know himself Mm. and uh so that's and that's partly the the queer reading of the film as well is how he um he is not a quote unquote proper police officer because he is at first too human mm-hmm. and then not human enough. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Mhm. I really love that. Yeah. And then it, we also get that with his wife in the fantasies because she we never see actually him with her no and we always see her from his perspective and in his first memory of her when she says i really have to tell you something Mm -hmm. she sounds angry Mm -hmm. and in the second one it's it's a different take yeah when she says i really have to tell you something and then she says i love you yeah and it's it's almost like these two versions of what might have happened um but she she also works as that mirror Right, facing Robocop, and you know him having to reconcile um, who he is and whether or not he's lovable, especially when he is a cyborg. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it. It. I mean, and all these things don't occur to him until he's sort of forced into these 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 positions, like. Yeah, so his his memory being gone, he has to sort of like learn how to love again. Yeah. Or like like yeah, and that's that's what Lewis And she's the one for. who reminds him who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, What's your name? And he doesn't say anything and she's like, Murphy. Your name is Murphy. Mm-hmm. And he still doesn't respond, but but like there's that like she she answers in his place mm-hmm. and tells him who he is. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, like similar hair, similar build, similar skin tone. Like they are yeah. Similar similar rosy cheeks. They both yeah. have such rosy cheeks. Yeah. But like she's yeah, she's they both not look set like up China as dolls. a fetish. Yeah. Which which is intriguing to me because for an action cop sci fi movie, mm-hmm. you would definitely expect the lady cop to be a fetish. But she's not. She's taking down bad guys she's she holds the enormous gun at the end Mm -hmm. and and blows up um 
the Twin Peaks guy. Good old Twin Peaks, yeah. Um, yeah, and and saves RoboCop's life basically. Like she's she's just as badass. She likes to drive the car just as much as he likes to drive the car, and they kind of fight over it, mm-hmm. um, in a good natured, you know, buddy way. Like she is, she has agency. She is his buddy. Um, the only thing I can't compute is is the distracted by the penis part. <laughs> but. Well, but to be fair, you you walk by someone who has their dick out. Aren't you gonna look? I mean, no, no, I probably would. Yeah, but also like he's peeing. Like it's not. I don't know. No, it's not. It's not like it's not titillating, sexy. but it, but it's like weird. It's curious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but also it's just a surprising thing I'm to happen not, upon. I am not a, a police officer. Mm. That should be in in you. basic training. Yeah. Like, don't get distracted <laughs> by dawns of yeah. police training. Don't look at dicks. <laughs> Unless you're in the co-ed locker room. <laughs> then look all you like. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love that there's no sense of romance between them. Oh, because also, like, his no. wife thinks she's dead. It could easily... Um, there could easily have been this weird human cyborg, like, mm-hmm. let's try it out with your no penis. Yeah. But no, there's never that. Well, you know, there are two incredibly shitty sequels. So Yes, that is so true. if we're if we're gonna, you know, have an expanded <laughs> understanding of the storyline, it there's still time for it to happen. That's true, that's true. Um, fan fiction. And fan probably fiction is full of it. Leave it to the horny nerds of the internet to do the rest. <laughs> uh, oh, well, there is one thing that, that I was going to ask. One question I want to ask, which is a serious question. Oh, go on. Um, how, how can we see RoboCop's free reign of police violence um, and, and no real um, due process... In a in a post George Floyd, yeah. World. Because I mean, this is sort of what I've been thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the one thing that I I think. I mean, the movie is clearly critical of police violence mm-hmm. because RoboCop is given free reign to you know yeah, shoot people's genitals off and uh, injure petty criminals without. And unsupervised, mind you. Like, yeah. he was just sent out to roam the streets. So I, I wonder, like, is this sort of a prescient mm. narrative? Or is this something that's always happened and people just didn't pay attention before? Yeah. I I think it is the latter. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also very interested that it's directed by Paul Verhoeven, like a, a Dutch director. This was his first American film. Right. Um, so, yeah, well, he is sort of, it feels like he's maybe coming into things with a brand new perspective that other, like, American directors mm. might have already been, like, annoyed by. Yeah, yeah. Um, not to say that Paul Verhoeven is anti-cop or, like, you know, has good politics, but, but 
maybe even just sort of seeing the way that things were trending already and and particularly in contrast to like european police forces mm-hmm. um and and like the overt militarism of american policing yeah well yeah yeah especially seen in this movie right where they just yeah. keep ramping up and ramping up yeah um to the point where yeah assault rifles and and armored vehicles are the norm mm-hmm. um and and you're right we don't see a lot of citizens running around so who are they for who are yeah. they serving yeah yeah in that way i think also this this violence or or this like culture of of violence that is perpetuated is not it's sort of the removed from any racialized mm-hmm. agendas mm-hmm. Which is also very interesting because, as we know, like, the cops were literally created to be, like, racial police. Yeah. So that is also a really interesting, like, sort of division in that, like, oh, the cops are just, like, very violent post-summer post of 2020, mm-hmm. post-George Floyd. Um, yeah, like, everything, everything connected to the cops is now so loaded and and um it, it in a way that i i sort of have a hard time seeing any complexity about the issue anymore mm. um so i think that was also what was interesting about about watching this movie post that um was seeing how this movie does try to, to grapple with with some nuance mm-hmm. um, and isn't isn't pro cop but but definitely is of a piece and like it's also irritating that like this movie was adored by cops when it came out yeah it which is. is wild so so like <laughs> it, while being critical is still like you know very much still a part of the culture yeah. Which is, I mean, that goes back to to it being satire and how not everybody understands satire. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, yeah. (laughs) The head scratcher, for sure. The people who don't get it wholeheartedly agree with it. So, did you have uh, moments of, of pure pure delight? I had two. Okay, tell me. My first was, so Bob Morton is played by Miguel Ferrer, um, who in the 80s had the most angular, kind of puffy, bald, receding hairline. It's, it's almost, it's like a 45 degree angle up <laughs> from, from his five head to... To the sky. It reaches for the sky, and I love it. I just and love the dedication of, like, back combing while also balding. Yes, and also, he's in the movie, this ladies' man who does coke off of this woman's tits, and has these two, and he talks about how he's dating models, and it's like, really? Are you? What kind of models? <laughs> what business bros can get yeah, in this world. It's It's just... Yeah, so Miguel Ferrer. Oh, I had three. I had three moments of that. Oh my god, okay. Okay, the next one so was... So just, just that he was in the movie. Yeah, just the, and his hair. 
and his hair and that he was like a babe magnet for some reason. Um, second moment of joy, the long take in the boardroom scene, that first big boardroom scene where we see different people interacting mm-hmm. um, and there's no cut. It just takes us around the boardroom mm-hmm. and it's, it's, that's why I, I think the boardroom is the whole hub of this movie. It's where all of this shit started and all of it finishes. It also very much has like a feeling of like a Greek chorus kind of Ooh, feel yeah. where, where it's, it's where the important shit gets done. It's where the important declarations happen. But then there's also just this panel of people who exist to be sort of like these immovable affirmation stand-ins or something. I don't know. It's like, mm-hmm. it feels like oddly, oddly like staged and, and sort of like classically theatrical in that way. Oh yeah. Well, even in the end, the final scene when Dick Jones goes out the window, mm-hmm. that one guy stands up and starts smiling. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, that's, that is a mood. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Number three. Number three. This was this gave me the most joy of the whole day, and I've I've really been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> it is when Dick Jones is upset with Bob Morton because Bob Morton is not giving him the respect he deserves. So, oh my God! Sorry. So Dick Jones is trying to try to relate. You know, yeah. he's he's talking about his his older employee, business bro, older to younger, business younger bro business to younger bro. business bro, and he says, "I used to call the old man funny names." Iron butt, boner. Once I even called him asshole, but there was always respect. I <laughs> thought that was the funniest because also who calls anyone iron butt or boner? And why is asshole the most unbelievable name in that list? It's beyond the pale. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes I call them asshole. Mostly just iron butt and boner though. Like, uh, I can, okay, I can like sort of understand calling someone an iron butt, even if I don't quite understand what that means. Could be like a sexy name. Oh, hey, iron butt. Hey, but that's not sexy. Butt is not a sexy word. No, it isn't. No, but calling someone boner. <laughs> uh, that guy's a boner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely gonna do it now. I didn't know it was an option. Now you know. Now we I learn know. something every day. Oh my god! Science sticks around. And RoboCop. Um, okay, so I had I had two. I mean, this whole movie is is a joy and a delight. Oh, and very good. So point. many good quotable lines. Everything's wonderful. Um, except for all the things you just mentioned about how <laughs> bad it is. Um, so two things that stand out are are one like the body horror melting melting of Emil. Oh yeah. Lo- okay, so at, at in the final showdown, one of the things that happens is is Emil, he of the the earring and and little silly man bun, um, runs into a, a barrel of toxic waste, which Whoopsies. is also acidic, and then and then his whole body just starts like melting, and it's this amazing practical like like body processes, uh, prosthesis. That like looks so gross and so good at the same time, mm-hmm. and his fingers get longer, yeah. and his like whole face sort of shifts to one side, and the skin hangs off, and then and then he gets run into and he explodes like a bag of soup. Yeah, it's so good. And he asks for help from Ray Wise, who is the Twin Peaks guy. Yeah, you I was trying do. to find. I I knew it would come to me, but he's like, 
Please help me. And Ray Wise, like, shrieks and runs away. He's like, get off me, man. Yeah, don't touch me. Ugh. It's like, well, yeah, fair enough. The skin's melting yeah, off his body. Terrifying. He might be contagious. This was your pal. Yeah, terrible. Probably is. Um, and then my other, my other favorite, favorite moment was just, uh, after, um, in the, in the first boardroom scene when, when, um, poor, poor business bro gets shot up real bad by Edie Tannery, mm-hmm. um, everyone sort of like reacts very mellow about it. But then as the scene ends, there's one dude who's just like, someone want to call a goddamn paramedic? <laughs> <laughs> just like this dude is in pieces on He's, the floor yeah, a paramedic is gonna do shit all yeah they're gonna need shovels too little too late folks also so you mentioned that ed209 is enforcement droid do you think ed might uh can we read into that a little bit as a as a little bit of a of a an emasculating um what what do you mean like ED, like erectile dysfunction. Oh my god. <sighs> it didn't even occur to me. That would be hilarious. I and had, probably true. I yeah. had myself a giggle when they were like ED209. <laughs> I was like, ha ha. But. Oh my god. Even like, just like, well, it has to be. Like, the, the amount of times that they say dick and like hover over that. So the fact that yeah. it's like, that his creator is, I don't know why I said his, it's. <laughs> It's creator I mean, is Dick Jones, and everyone's like, hi, Dick. Oh, yeah. So, like, it's, yeah, no. Like, it's the ultimate compensatory, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, you can you can be the only dick in the room, because your mm-hmm. pet literally shoots off other dicks. Mm-hmm. But he, he also has, like, big gun dicks yeah. for arms. <laughs> big arm gun dicks. Yeah. <laughs> so. A vision of horror. Yeah, truly. <laughs> Before we close out, do you want to hear some uh, a, a few uh, weird facts that I got from the internet about this movie that may or may not be true? I would die of disappointment if I didn't. Okay, well, okay. So, apparently, all the scientists in the film are named after U.S. presidents, and the mm. cops are named after serial killers. Oh! So, again, did not fact check this, don't know for sure, but I like that it exists, and someone said it on the internet. So... Say it for you will. Um, for you. The organic food paste that RoboCop eats, that like disgusting machine. Do you know what it's made of? Baby food? No, even worse. Um, the most unlikely ingredients parsnip, tomato puree, and crushed Butterfinger bars. Ew, what? I, I was with you <laughs> before the Butterfinger. Like, I don't understand why they had to put those three things together. I mean, I guess for the color, but... Or consistency, but, like, surely... But surely there are... Some other things could... I yeah. mean... And baby food Baby exists. food. They they bring him baby food they at one point to baby eat. Food. And one of the boardroom guys is like, mmm, baby food. Delicious. Yummy. Yeah. And, and eats it voluntarily. So, yeah, that's very weird. And the way they, they squish it out of that machine, too, oh, it's... vile. It is very poop-adjacent. I wouldn't say adjacent. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Um, and, and last <laughs> and, and final fun fact for, for Robocop is that, uh, so Robocop's, um, armor was too big 
for him to fit into the car while wearing. I was thinking of yeah, that when yeah. he was driving. I was like, ain't no way. No, That's a good no, 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 no. So in order to fit into the car, um, he wore the top part of his costume and then sat in his underwear. <laughs> Robocop so, Winnie so the Pooh. So like Winnie the Poohing all over the place. <laughs> so now just imagine. <laughs> what? <laughs> Peter Weller in his like <laughs> tidy whities brilliant <laughs> wearing a helmet <laughs> I love it I love it um, I don't know if this is real or not but this might be another fake internet fact there was there was mention of of the possibility that Alex's name would have been robot I no. Mean, no 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 Ro- uh, Robert oh no <laughs> So when and it would have been called Robert Cop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch the shit out of Robert that Cop. Was the danger. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Alex works. <laughs> works as well. Did you did this movie bring up any connections to other movies? Do you feel like there are things that it speaks to somewhere else or um, intersections that you want to highlight? Um, I mean, one intersection I thought of, but I'm not in a good position to speak on because I haven't seen it for a long time is Basic Instinct, which is also a Paul Verhoeven movie, which is Mm. also, um, one in which there are like, like scenes of transgressive sexuality that is coded. Mm. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's sort of. Verhoeven's thing, mm-hmm, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mostly thought about all the the police movies that valorize the sort of thin blue lineness mm-hmm. of the cops and aren't critical of the connection between policing and capitalism. Mm-hmm. So mostly, I was just very impressed with the way in which this movie basically puts those two things together. Yeah, along with healthcare. Yeah, it says, look, these are all capitalistic traps mm-hmm. and they don't work yeah yeah i mean usually there's sort of like one innocent party that's like oh no but this is the good thing that will be held up yeah there's a beacon of, and yeah it's yeah. always like except the exceptionalist yeah 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 yep but this one is just like at the end they're like buried <laughs> and, yeah. and the only solution is to take away their humanity entirely yeah, not the solution I would think of, but no. but you know, I don't know. What about you? Um, I I was sort of thinking a little bit. I mean, this is like a longer conversation for another time, but um, always thinking about trans stuff. So had been sort of in the back of my mind. Again, this isn't fully thought out, but thinking about about particularly those moments when when um, a character wakes up following sort of a transformational surgical procedure or, or, or an event of some kind in which like their body is unalterably changed mm. and, and they have sort of woken up from this into a new reality of themselves. Um, so yeah, had been thinking, you know, just like connections with the matrix and, um, Oh yeah. Like, right now but yeah just sort of thinking about about that as as like a really interesting intersection in 
and I don't think this movie is is particularly bears out the trans narrative um, in an extended way, but but that moment in particular, where it's it's like you're you are you have become new in this way, but you're also carrying sort of pieces of your past with you that that haunt you and and resonate within you, and 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 then you have to navigate. You know what what do I do? Inhabiting this new reality um, that I've chosen, or or not, but but um, also reconciling it with with who I was. Mm-hmm. There is actually trans scholarship on this movie. Of course, there is. And, uh, We're everywhere. I can't remember the the person who who did it now off the top of my head, but I can include it in sh- the show notes. Yeah, do it. Yeah, because it's. Read. It's so fascinating and goes toward what you were talking about with body horror and, and Emil's sort of yeah. melting um, mm-hmm. melting and how, how um, trans narratives tend to um, tend to kind of attach themselves to issues of body horror and, and yeah. yeah yeah really interesting stuff yeah like horror not as, as necessarily something scary but as something interesting yeah and and and, and speaks to the ways yeah that yeah. we approach our our bodies having sort of gender dysphoria like yeah this this unstable thing that that keeps shifting and that we don't feel like we have control over ever <laughs> mm-hmm. um and and that it and that it can be both curious to sort of like observe and endlessly complicated obviously mm. um and and does contain horror elements obviously but but is also just like unexpected and in that way a little bit wondrous sure yeah well and i i like that you you equated dysphoria and horror there too because yeah it, it the way i understand dysphoria is i am not the person i see in the mirror like yeah. that's that's not me Yep. There was an imposter. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. Like, who, who did that? <laughs> horrific. It's horrific to not know. I honestly is. don't know why why horror movie tropes are not entirely trans narratives. I mean, maybe I should actually say that they are, but but the, maybe you the can overlaps. start making movies. Oh my god. <laughs> the overlaps are are yeah. Endless. Yeah. Um. On that note. Shall we close up? Did, did yeah. you learn anything? What are the juiciest bits slash the ju- <laughs> juiciest butts? Well, obviously, RoboCop's butt features very heavily. Okay, I wanted to talk to you about RoboCop's butt. Okay, For of course a metal you did. butt, it has no business being that delicious. It is a juicy butt. <laughs> I was surprised. They went out of their way. I mean, yeah. To give a robot cop a tasty ass butt. Maybe he needed, like, padding all the metal and stuff but maybe but, but it's perfectly way, round the effect is great yeah it works it works dude has a big donk <laughs> um juiciest bits are we including all the liquefied people um <laughs> yes. as a result of yeah. single gunshots yes um, yeah yeah those are many juicy bits yeah oh, did you learn anything did i learn anything i learned that 80s action cop movies can actually have something to say. And it's not that hard to say something meaningful against cops and capitalism. Oh my God. Well done. Well done. Um, 
my 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 learning is is silly compared to yours, but I just learned that <laughs> board meetings don't have to be boring. That is that is very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. As we've proved, board meetings you can throw people out windows, you can shoot them in cold blood, you bring in robots, you can bring in robots, you can yeah. have showdowns. Yeah, yeah. Endless possibilities to liven up the boardroom. Totally, totally. So get yeah. rid of those powerpoints. They're not needed. Yeah. Well, that was RoboCop. That was RoboCop. Boy, howdy. What a time. <laughs> I just, I, oh, man, his, his little pink cheeks just kill me. <laughs> and the, the, his own face as a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. creepy, but Truly also unsettling. endearing. Right. You just want to, you just want to squish him. <laughs> or peel it or off. Peel it. No, it. stop. No. <laughs> Why would you do that? I was trying so hard not to think about it. Sorry. Oh. I will not think about face masks tonight. I will not think about skin masks tonight. It's my mantra for bedtime. Very good. On that note, I've been Charlie. I've been Mandy. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) 